Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KBEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about, time about. for Mortgage Matters. Well, hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. All the motor mouthers sticking around. Yeah, it was a good morning this morning on the motor mouths, actually. Oh, yeah, talking about usual? yeah. Well, it just you know a lot of cool subjects like talking about how crappy but popular the VW Beetle was, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun stuff this morning. A friend brought me the Bug movie. Oh yeah, yeah. And I watched it just the other day. Uh, Herbie? No, no. It was a movie about, just like a documentary recently about Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, that'd be cool. And it was cool because it started cool. out and it, it basically was discussing how uh-huh. um, everybody's got a story about the beetle. a Beetle when they were young. Yeah. It was their first car. It was yeah. the first time they rode in a car. It was mm. the first time they were in a car that broke down. Yeah. I'm going to have to play you all bump, of the above or a bumper. I'm going to have to reuse one of the motor mouse bumpers from this morning. It was pretty cool. This guy uh, did a YouTube song about um, how slow his beetle was, and he might as well just push it off a cliff to get it go faster and stuff like yeah. that. Zero to 60 <laughs> in three minutes. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. A bit of a V dub enthusiast myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't have one right now, but I've owned. Quite a few. I always love the Beetle. Rebuilt a really? couple. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun. Good times. Yeah. Well, we can't really tie the Beetle thing into the mortgage thing too much. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. No. Not enough crossover. Yeah. You wouldn't even have to take out a second on your house to buy a Beetle. <laughs> We're getting pretty expensive. I was going to say, the new ones. One of the new might. ones, yes. <laughs> if, you, if you go buy a 21 window, you might spend... Probably well, track down a good twenty one. Well, yeah, you might sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, now. you might you might have to. I guess maybe I should retract that statement. <laughs> if only we knew those things were going to be worth so much money, you'd have bought them all up when you could get them for a thousand bucks. Sit on them for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have made money. Yeah, buy a few dozen of them. <laughs> good plan. Possible. <laughs> I was pulling out the old phone here to see where the. Did you see that Dow Jones finished up 21,000? I saw that. Big yeah. news. 21,000. The bond yield, the 10-year yield, finished over two and a half. Oh, that's exhausting. So, yeah, we were just here last, last week. Last week, we were talking about how it was 2.33 and, and heading was, south. Yeah, we were talking about that that resistance level at at 2.3% that we couldn't seem to break through it's and a it, floor. if only we could break through that it's a floor. we might see another eighth lower in rate and it just it it wouldn't bust through it last week and this week it bounced up i don't predict it's going to go down this week as this will be the last full week of trading before the fed meeting right yeah so. i agree and we have a for whatever reason, do you know why there's not a jobs report this week? Instead, it was pushed to next week. Um, sometimes they do that just when it's short, a short okay. month, because February only had 28 days. So yeah, the last pay period had eight days. Yeah. 
So there's just not enough time, I think, to compile the data with much integrity. So what they do is just push it off. So yeah, we're going to get the jobs report then for February. That's all going to go down on March 10th, which um, that's this coming Friday. And then the feds will have that to stew on over the weekend before their big meeting and the um i was gonna say talk about conflicting news conflicting uh, hypotheses i guess it's so funny i i i usually keep my notes going all week long and um it this week was particularly funny because the notes that i threw in here on monday are telling me that the odds of a fed rate hike at the march meeting are 40 percent then they get revised Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yesterday. The odds of the Fed um, hike at this next meeting here is 80 to 90 percent, depending That's who you ask. That's so crazy. Yeah. And here's what's interesting. So even in this morning's Tribune, there's an article that Janet Yellen indicates that, um, you know, a Fed, a March rate hike is likely. And that's not at all what i read <laughs> she didn't say that she didn't say the word likely she didn't say no you know it's it's gonna happen that's not what she said she said they're gonna meet they're gonna evaluate market conditions to decide if a march rate hike is appropriate well, that sounds about like what they say every meeting sure but this week one of the interesting things we had was that three of the fed members were out and about giving speaks uh, you know at various functions and said um, so Harker, Williams, and Dudley both said that a March rate hike is a distinct possibility. A possibility. The, these are the things that are right. Isn't it a possibility every right. time? <laughs> yes. And then yesterday. Which I, is why every time they decide yay or nay. And then yesterday, was it um, Fisher or Bullard? It's one of, the, one of the other voting members was out saying, he, I, I think of everyone that I've heard quoted here recently, this person seemed the most clear. Just just on Thursday afternoon, two of the Board of Government Governors members, Bernard and Powell, both said they supported a 25 basis point hike at the March meeting. See, there was so a, that gets five of them out in one week, and that's just enough to push up this futures idea that you're getting it. There was someone yesterday. It was either Fisher or Bullard. They're voting members, and and this person said. Mm, uh, something later in the year is more appropriate. When Good. you start hearing us talking about it in March, it's it's not you. It's not typical for us to then act on those statements that very same month. Well, that that's what. And I'm going to try to find the quote so that I can. I'll tell you what. Expectations of future rates move current rates. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing we're seeing right now is just this idea that future rates may go up um, has sent current rates up. And um, I, I feel like it's most definitely priced into the market now. I mean, they, like you say, the opening remarks from today's show, the 10-year going from 2.33 to 2.5 over the course of this week seems like it sure is pricing in this idea that the feds are hiking rates um, at the March meeting. I'm on the hope not side just for optimism. I think I'd like to I'd like to see it a bit more gradual and if anything I just hmm here we go. I'm voting to cling to lower rates. So maybe yeah, maybe I just happened to pick my head up for the one guy who seemed to be against it. That's what I'm now 
Finding articles here, Fed's Bullard, James Bullard, he's the St. Louis Fed president. The single dissenter. Yeah, he said, I wouldn't see any reason to be especially aggressive about interest rate hikes in this environment. My guy. Oh, but he's not a voting member. What? I don't know where I get my news. Sometimes I wake up early and I'm confused. Must be getting that fake news. Yeah, maybe. And I saw you just burn the heck out of your mouth with your coffee, which tells me you haven't had any yet today. Well... And I have a new coffee cup, and apparently it's it works very really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have this coffee cup that I've been um, carrying around for a couple years now. And in the beginning, the problem was, like you notice right now, I have to take the lid off. It's too hot. For it to begin cooling. Yeah. Um, else I do the scalding thing like you just yeah, did. Yeah, I think so mine good. got hotter um, as I drove here. Fascinating. Did you have it plugged in or something? (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely warm. That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, this 80 to 90% chance of a rate hike, I feel, I don't know that, I feel like I'm not So yesterday on the TV I'm watching, I I forget which channel it was, but I'm watching on the television as a panel people are describing now that the chances are so high of a Fed rate hike. um, They started having this conversation about what it would mean what it would mean if um, if there wasn't a rate hike, and would it would it suggest that the Fed doesn't support the president and doesn't recognize the strength of the stock market and can't add up the sum of the parts about how good the U.S. economy is doing and all these just all this like an hour long conversation about what it would mean if the Fed chose not to, and so I I thought that was really just fascinating. Um, I get a little frustrated with the hype over the stock market. Okay? okay. I think the movement in the stock market is a reflection of likely tax code. Likely change in tax policy, regulatory reform, those types of things. It's not indicating that these companies are all of a sudden more profitable or making better business decisions or things like that. It's it's reflecting changes in policy that will be, possibly lead to more future profitability right it's and it's speculative it's whoever's drawing the conclusion that you know all of a sudden business is better is business hasn't changed from january to february it didn't change i was sitting it's with also a, not changed here in early march i was sitting <laughs> with a contractor yesterday and we were looking at tax returns and we both had a little chuckle is that well you know Hey, we're both small business guys, and now that you know President Trump's in there, just here comes the gravy train, baby. Let, you know, just get ready for it. You're going to have to get an extra wheelbarrow just to take all your money to the bank. Who really thinks that's true? I don't. And these uh, these tax cuts that are coming for me and you and the average worker bee, how much money is that to pocket? Like I remember the Bush era stuff was like, you're going to get a check. For what was it? Do you remember it? It was something. It was three hundred bucks. Yeah, something like that. And if three hundred bucks is making or breaking stimulus, the stimulus stuff. Yeah, the stimulus stuff. And it's like you would have been better off doing a lottery where you gave only ten percent of the people like ten grand, as opposed to spreading three hundred bucks out across every person. What is that going to do? So these tax, like all this stuff, looking forward. I agree. I think it's hype. I also think that the stock market is um, it's not even what it used to be on account of it used to be 
that in order to come up with a valuation, you had to study, like you needed to know about a company who was at the helm, what was their research and development business doing? What was their profitability? What's their future profitability? They have something coming to market that's going to beat a competitor. And today it's like, no, you, you, do you have Apple in your portfolio? Cause you should, you know, why? You look at these different companies and you see their stocks going up. There's these stocks are going up based on speculative optimism. I, for, it actually scares me a little bit because you know, that thing where, um, you know, it's, it's like human nature. People always expect what's currently happening is going to be the, Just the norm going forward. Yeah. And that is, it's nice today where home values are going up. Confidence is going up. The jobs market is going up. Stock market's going up. Most of our retirements account, they've, they've recovered. Everything's feeling pretty good. And so everybody's just expecting that that's the train that's just going to keep on going. And then when it turns, right, hear about, you know, imagine the first month or two of headlines where property values have plateaued. And you're going to start seeing this. Is it the end? Is this the bubble bursting? Is it should you fire sell today? And then you're gonna get somewhere it's like, hey, property values actually went down one or two percent, and people will be like, oh my god. And then you have the are we gonna panic and sell off with the same kind of enthusiasm we have buying into this 24 hour news cycle that, you know, the Dow's at twenty one thousand. Remember all the hype to get to 20,000? What a big deal. Now we blew that away. The stock market, the Dow is up like 5% in a six-week period. Surely that's not sustainable. You really don't believe that that's good, healthy, safe, or long-term, right? No, it's people, it's it's professional traders wanting to get ahead of policy change and and anticipate what those changes are going to mean for valuations of companies, trajectory of companies, and it that yeah, it it's interesting when when that gets thrown into the conversation. I clipped a couple sweet ones here for you. The Dow hit. So this nail this news is a little bit stale as I clipped this on Tuesday for a meeting I had, but the Dow Jones had hit 12 consecutive daily highs. We know it closed a couple lower days since then, like not much, like just scratched off, you know, eight points down yeah, or something the last like that. Couple days. But anyways, these like record highs that we've been hitting, 12 in a row made the longest streak since 1987. That's kind of fascinating, huh? And then here's another one, as long as we're hearkening back to yesteryear, Thursday's initial jobless claims were only 223,000 claims, and that's wow. the lowest weekly claim for initial um, benefit since 1973. Wow. Maybe the feds do want to hike rates. Maybe. That sounds hot. You got less people looking for unemployment benefits for the first time since 1973? I wasn't even born in 73. Jim was probably already rocking ACDC in 73. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) <laughs> you know what <laughs> sitting here in front of the radio it kind of made me feel like um you remember that uh, you saw the movie joe dirt yeah it's like basically it's a radio interview yeah you uh, know it you know it funny funny <laughs> hey let's um, do it speaking of let's do it it's nine twenty. 
So let's do a commercial break here. We gotta we gotta get all these in. We get some criticism lately. I'm feeling the heat over here that we're not um, honoring the sponsorship spots the way we should. So, guys, these are sponsors here of the show. They help make it possible. So lend them your ear, and if possible, your business. We'll be back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-396-08. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Here we go. You know, next week before we're going to have another show to discuss before the Fed meeting anyway. Yeah. So we're not even going to know how, how anticlimactic. Yeah, it is. But this is, we're, we're in the pattern, right? We're, we're right firmly in the pattern of the couple weeks before any Fed meeting. You start to see that build up. You start to see the anticipation of... A potential rate hike because it's sure. always possible at every meeting. It's a possibility. Sure. And um, this one, you know, the the likelihood seems to be higher than than most times. But um, you know, the, talking, well, regardless of what happens, we're going to see a buildup of rates as we've seen already this past week. I was talking to a financial advisor this last week about the idea of this. I told you a little bit about it, but doing a certificate of deposit type of account. And they said um, that one of the new strategies, not new, but important strategies today is doing what they called a, the CD ladder. So because you predict you're in an increasing interest rate environment, right? I mean, don't you see that over the next 
36 months, we probably are going to see, I don't know where it goes to, but I suspect you're going to see rates go up. I mean, you can predict a few reasons why they may not. You know, if this administration doesn't get the traction that they thought or the even though they have all the control of Congress, the plans don't get railroaded through the way that, you know, some people might be hoping or whatever. And, and maybe just without all that traction, all this hype is hype and it just stagnates. I don't know. Anyway, you could make different arguments about why they may not go up. Chances are if the job market stays good and people are working and confidence is high and, you know, kind of money's flowing around. This is why the feds are talking about raising rates. They got to get ahead of the curve in case things really get white hot. This is one of the tools that they use to kind of to cool off accelerated growth. So anyways, back to this idea of the CD ladder. You don't want to buy a two-year CD today. You lock down the two-year CD today, you know, for the two-year one, they're giving you a little bit more interest, still something than less than 1%, but close, you know, I think it was like three quarters percent or something like this, but if you want out of it in that two-year term for some reason, then they got to—they basically got to take it to market. And so you're going to get the penalty. I mean, I doubt they actually take it to market, it's really but the it's the math they work out on. The interest, right? Yeah, in, yeah, truly. And so, and they look at it—the difference between what today's two-year CD is getting versus the one you get. And if you're totally clobbered, you'd lose all your interest. If it's not bad, you'd lose a little bit of interest. So this idea in the latter is. Because you're in an increase in environment, buy a three-month CD, a six-month CD, a nine-month CD, a 12-month CD. Instead of putting all your money into one term, you do a variety of them so that as they mature, they get reinvested back into it and they, you know, you're getting that new rate. It's kind of the same thing about what these rates are doing leading up to the Fed meeting is if we know that it's going to be more, we just start building in all this fat. And so I think all the movement is really already in there. Um, especially after Friday, where we start reading now that the futures are giving an 80 plus percent likelihood of a Fed rate hike coming in mid-March. Um, you got to believe that's all accounted for now. Yeah, boy, man, if they do not raise rates. You're probably going to see another little slough again. Where, nice, right? Well, yeah, where you'll lose that fat and then maybe a little bit more because then it puts the next before March got all the popularity for the rate hike. It was June and June. Man, June seems to me to tell a whole other story of what March is going to tell. We've been like soggy. The country's been cold and wet and soggy through winter. We just are a couple months into, you know, the new administration and trying to digest all of that. And what was the um, latest GDP reading? Wasn't it one point nine percent? And they had anticipated so first for that, all of last year. That was a second reading. This was fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. So that was a second reading of fourth quarter GDP. It was 1.9%, and they were expecting it to go up to 2.1, um, but the reading remained unchanged from first pass. And one of the challenges, too, to that reading is that the consumer spending the only real – when I say only, I mean we're talking like the 90th percentile portion of consumer spending. You know where the increases were? You could guess if you'd, you know, thought about it for a minute. If it was final Jeopardy, the place to double down is on medical costs. And that's exactly where it was. The average American visits about seven different... Sheesh. That wasn't my computer this time. That was my computer. I have mine on mute, Jim. I just signed into my email. Boy, (laughs) I screw everything up. Anyway, all right. 
I'm kind of intrigued now. What does the average American do? You started, oh, yeah. there was something over there. Oh, it actually has to do with somewhat financial. Oh? Anyway, yeah, All somewhat. Right. So anyway, the GDP reading for the fourth quarter wasn't great at 1.9. We're expecting a slight revision upward. We didn't get it. The only noticeable increases in in that um, consumption metric that we care so much about was in healthcare. That's not that's not where you want to see your um, consumer base flexing their extra dollars. Medical costs. I mean, newsflash: there's this whole thing going on with national healthcare, and they're trying to sort it out. It's been really expensive and all that, but yeah. So the economy is not crazy bright in terms of the GDP. But so now you have a new president, and you have a new year, and you have. You know, the Dow at all time highs. And so maybe, you know, maybe now there is some increased GDP coming our way. When I was I was sitting in the car, um, you know, running off the clock before we came up here and I was scrolling through one of the things on the phone and it said that um, Home Depot was going to be hiring 80,000 people for the spring season nationally. And that they, um, been a long time since I applied for a job. You too, I know. Um, A lot of those big corporate companies now, when you go to apply, they have like a kiosk in the front of the store where you'll sit down and do it electronically in the store. Hmm. Interesting, like an iPad even or something like this. So anyways, they're saying Home Depot is looking to to hire 80,000 people for the spring and that they're going to set it up basically to where you can just apply using your smartphone or tablet. <laughs> Crazy. So yeah, maybe you know, maybe there is a bunch of jobs coming and things will be bright and GDP will be higher. Let's hope for that anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. So far, I haven't seen I've heard talk about potential policy changes, haven't seen one that affects jobs or financial markets. You know, it's all speculation based on either traditional Republican um, policies or whatever this particular president well, has stated. You, you've seen executive orders that um, that sort of suggest where the help is coming, but you don't know what the help is yet. I mean, and I was I was reading this week about some of the um, the deregulation stuff. By the way, we're not seeing that word a lot. I. When the administration talks about, you know, removing some of the regulations and stuff, they don't call it deregulation. I guess this word has a a derogatory association to it. But at any rate, I'm reading about some of these these moves and what it might mean. And there's a real good part of me that is like, man, is that a good idea? Uh, We talk about a lot on the show Dodd-Frank and everything that it means and stuff like that. But so far, all the regulation talk or executive orders have revolved around things it seems more like i mean i've seen things that have to do with um epa standards you know sure. coal miners or you know what kind of stuff can be released so in this, the rivers. this stuff that i was looking at was arguments specifically geared towards what may happen with local banks community banks um and the regulatory environment that they've been under since dodd frank i mean we've seen it here locally uh we're down to what? No more local banks here, right? Pretty much. And there's like, uh, there's Other a couple credit like unions, Lock, yeah. but the credit unions are kind of a unique thing anyway. They don't offer all the things that the, that other banks could offer. Um, 
I mean, that being said, I, I like the credit union model. I think the local credit unions here are great. Um, but that being said, what's happened here, like if you if you could get founders or the people from American Perspective or Heritage or any of these other um, companies in here to talk about what's been going on, the burden of the compliance cost and the compliance staff, the audits, both internal and external from the agencies that govern them have just been... No other way to say it. Unbearable. They can't survive in that environment. And so what you saw, I mean, and I brought stats in not too long ago. Um, Around the Great Depression, there was like 30,000 banks. And then in 20, I don't know, what was it? Somewhere around the recession, there was 10,000 banks. And then in the last couple of years, we're down to 5,000 banks. We are chasing banks away at record paces. And so if, if some of this financial reform comes by way of um, I think giving the pass to some of those smaller community banks that you don't have. They're not they are not threats to the entire financial system no. if they make a bad decision. Right. And they are, and, and generally they're governed by a, lo- they're owned and governed by the local board. And they're really focused on protecting their own money. Most of these banks start with seed money of a, a group of people that have got money. And they, they do these things because they're interested in fi- filling a need for their local community but in today's regulatory environment they just simply can't talk they can't exist anymore they can't make it and so again just sort of lining up the difference between march and june march i've heard all this stuff oh we're gonna we're gonna bring all these things that are gonna we're ordering these investigations and we're looking into these ways that we can help you all and we're doing all these things that we're gonna make business better for all of you Got it. Let me know when, for me anyway, let me know when you're more specific about that. Because I've heard even a lot about all this tax thing. Um, Let me know when that stuff's more specific. Because we're all getting ready to scratch tax checks again, and you aren't getting any benefits from any of the hype around taxes. But in June, I suspect a lot more of this will be revealed to us. Well, and if nothing else, we'll figure out how quickly some of these changes might come about. Because one of the wild cards in this political environment here with the you know the talk of policy changes and regulatory reform is that i don't you know president trump's kind of a wild card he's not your traditional republican establishment guy he's he doesn't appeal to while while the republicans control the house and the senate you know he's not necessarily appealing greatly to all these guys i think there's like a party line affiliation but not like a hey let's go grab you know a coffee sure. today because I, I like you and i want to hang out with you that's not what's going on he's not really exhibiting an ability to be good at politics you know because there's some there's the niceties of politics you have to appeal to people you have to like i gotta do something for you you do something for me and we can get things done and that's not the way he's playing so there's potential for any policy changes he wants to really grind through the system because he can't just sit here and executive order all day long for four years that's not reality at some point he has to create um you know he has to find people who want to support some of his things and they have to usher it through the system and the bureaucracy and it takes time and it takes consensus and i don't you know it's going to be interesting to see if he can start to exhibit those qualities that it takes to get real change done through the system yeah what's the change and when is it real yeah, we'll we'll you definitely have to can't be... just scream and kick your way through because otherwise people might just roadblock you. 
So that'll mm. be interesting. I mean, I, I think that's one of the wild cards that, you know, we just there's just kind of this assumption that, oh, well, we've got a Republican president, Republican Congress, and a Republican Senate, and so it's all just going to sail on through. Everything's going to be For the fast. first time since 1920-something or, I mean, it's been basically forever. They got two years of control that haven't had in your lifetime, um, even in Jim's lifetime. What? <laughs> just seeing if you're still awake over I'm there. I'm still bud. awake over there. I'm trying since to I, find something about money for the next month. Since I can't see you around this. Um, I know. That's one thing I don't like oh, about this monitor. There's there is. the quintessential money song, Van Halen. Some say money is bad for the soul. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll see if I can find that. Um. Yeah. Anyway, point being, it, it'll be really interesting when the feds meet in June to see what they do with rates then it seems like they're going to have a lot more of the story right now it seems like it's a short story uh i know i said this last month but um i'm having trouble believing that much of the things in the economy maybe other than the optimism of the stock market today much of this stuff isn't a result of um anything that's actually been done um and the stock market in this vein too is just it's a it's a reaction to things that have been said and you know we'll see if if talk turns to action we'll see where the rubber meets the road and everything that happens and and for now um you mean you don't get a new administration and instantly at that moment everything that happens after that is a result of the new administration no, <laughs> you don't. I mean, equally fascinating. You remember when we first started the show, this was right after yeah, the transition of Bush to Obama. And when we TARP was coming about, I mean, you remember we used to field calls on the show where you and I would be describing what happened this week within TARP, the kind of stimulus and where it was directed and what quantities and who was wanting it and who wasn't. And we would get calls that would, you know, say, oh, I can't believe you guys support this TARP thing. You know, this President Obama and all his TARP. And we were like, mm, Bush you do realize <laughs> that was a, a Bush thing, right? Um, we forget. Like, we don't we don't even I mean, it won't be long before we'll be back <laughs> to the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, where you whether you're on the side that wants to place or deflect the blame, um, we seem to forget really quick. Um where the where you actually need to attribute some of this stuff and going back to that same vein of it most policy changes things if the feds change rates in march they're not really anticipating having a big effect in march sure there's going to be that first splash what does it mean what do we do really what they're trying to do is they're looking at september they're yeah. they're they're playing forward a lot they're it's sort of indicative planning this way that you can rough shape the future based on some policy moves today that's only a quarter of a point it's not that big of a deal um the reason that we all hang on it is that it suggests to us what's going on you know oh that was the other thing about the the people i was watching on the tv as they were talking about what it would mean if they didn't hike and the the primary thing we were all hung up on is if the feds don't hike rates now at the March meeting, it'll be because they know things they're not telling us. Oh. They recognize the soft spots and the exposures. And they're, because um, for the rest of us that have been, you know, digesting the news we've been spoon-fed, 
um, we're all now we have this you know ninety percent chance of a rate hike, but if they don't do it, it's because there's things you're not being told. <laughs> like the twenty four hour news cycle yeah, right. is just at it again. So anyway, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's time for the second commercial break of the hour. We'll see what Jim dug up on money. If you took my suggestion for a, a great, I guess we're, that'd be Van Hagar. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Quick break more and then more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Loans. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. 5,000 years of Chinese music and dance in one night. said you saw a Steve Miller band? Yeah, actually. I got to tell you about the time I saw a Steve Miller band. I saw a Steve Miller band um, down in Southern California. Oh, take the money and run. There it is, your hook. I saw a Steve Miller band. I was really excited to see Steve Miller band um, at a at an amphitheater. Like this was like fifty thousand people size show. Okay. And they started out by playing songs that nobody knew. 
Uh, Which yeah, when you're gonna go see a band? That's because yeah. yeah, they keep making new music that right. people aren't as into. When right. you go see Steve Miller band, like I think I was like 19 or 20 years old or something. Mm-hmm. You're you're going there because you're expecting to hear the greatest hits. That's yeah. what you bought your ticket for. Right. So they opened with songs we never heard. Third or fourth song, uh, people started to get a little restless. We want to hear the Joker. Yeah, well, we, yeah. Joker well, and I think, and I think and that at the time the band was basically like, if we have to sing the Joker one more time, <laughs> we're gonna hang ourselves. Yeah. And so, yeah, at any the crowd started to get a little bit restless. And and a little abracadabra, something like that. Anyway, then, then during when they finally did play the, is it called the Joker? Space Cowboy? What's it that song is called? called? The, the Joker? Joker. Yes, yes. They like rearranged it and broke the like i mean it had the same rough structure but they broke the like the melody of the song just to mess with everyone i think they were planning it anyway and people started throwing trash and booing oh my gosh and they literally turned on the lights in the whole stadium and said if you guys are gonna act like this we'll pack up and split and that was the wrong thing to say to all those people that were already agitated because it was nearly a riot and those dudes left. Uh, it was not cool. And I was really disappointed because we got, it, that was the whole thing was like four songs and then they bounced and yeah. um, I mean, we had tickets and I know, a plan. I, I, yeah. It was no, a bummer. That would, but I, then they, but then I saw them again later after that. It seemed like they got back to their recipe. Of, yeah. Now, if you go see Steve Miller Band, they're going to sit down and play you the hits. Yeah, that's what people want to hear. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm cool with them playing the new stuff, and I appreciate that. But don't start out with the new stuff. Start out with the familiar stuff and then kind of work in. Mix your way into right. one of those. That's when I can go grab another beer or something yeah. when you're playing yeah, that song. Or if you're into it, you're <laughs> that into song it, I don't you know? care about. Yeah, you know. Yeah, funny. I saw the Monkees, actually. They started, and that was actually a good show at Vienna Robles. Isn't the Monkees the OG boy band? I guess so. <laughs> Isn't it? I guess so. They were like pieced yeah. together by yeah. producers. I, they were. Right? Yeah. And then they actually became a real bonafide band. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't I don't yeah. I don't doubt that, but so did Backstreet Boys. Oh yeah. So somebody with a vision can sit down and put the right so, ingredients together. You they can put in some great stuff, man. You can they do had it. new stuff, but their old stuff was awesome. <laughs> the monkeys. The monkeys. Don't make me come back with the monkeys theme. Hey, hey. All the right. monkeys. I brought a little bit of stats here about landlords. Did you know that landlords are a significant part of the U.S. housing market? Yeah, you did. Yeah. San Luis Obispo has yeah. quite a population of um, investment properties. Let's say landlords were bought a lot of properties in the last five years or so. Yeah, they did. And then some of those huge investment um, firms started buying them up themselves to get into the landlord game. So you saw like Blackstone became one of the biggest buyers of homes. Um, That's all kind of cooled off by now, but check this stat out. Last year, so this is a national number, 37% of homes were acquired by buyers who don't live in them. So this is also going to include people that are buying a vacation home for themselves, like a second home type of thing. But 37% of total transactions were acquired by buyers who do not occupy as primary residents. Does that sound crazy high to you? How many? 
37%. That's high. That's about, I was, I was going to say somewhere in the 30s. A third. Yeah. One in three transactions is somebody buying a piece of real estate they don't intend to live in. Well, think the homeownership rate's 60, you know, 65-ish yeah. percent. So, yeah, sure. that makes sense. The other third's landlords. Um. So, yeah, so there was a bunch of investments firms off of Wall Street that were buying up rental homes. They've since backed off, believing that, um, you know, I think part of it is that they bought at such a good time. If you bought real estate four or five years ago, you made pretty good money. And so if you're an investor that bought up, whether you were part of a pool that bought up a thousand properties or just the one-off investor that bought a couple properties five years ago, I got to imagine you're pretty satisfied with your return on investment. And now that the market is, is quite a bit higher, it's probably less less upside, you know, less obvious upside in the just appreciation game, wouldn't you think? So as the Wall Street buyers are backing off, small investors are buying again. Um, rising home prices are slowing new home construction. Um, and we're also seeing that home ownership rates, which you referenced a minute ago, they're, they're near their 50-year lows. They're, um, they're, it's not... Not nearly as high as it used to be. First-time home buyers are having a particular struggle um, currently. For starter homes, the problem is is just it's magnified. Um, the prices have risen seven and a half percent as inventory has fallen twelve percent. So there's kind of just the pinch there, and you could argue that the price increase is related to the inventory drop, right? It's probably a teeter totter. Um, but anyway, that the increased percent of income needed to buy the median home with that going on, um, is up about 2%. So you need, if you're, if you're trying to keep track with all this, if you need to maintain the same affordability that you had a year ago, you need to be making 2% more at work. And we know that wage growth, you're lucky if you're making an 2% more per year, we're just we haven't been seeing those kind of things. I mean, what that last jobs report, do you remember what hourly earnings were last time? I think it was 0.4%. Yeah, which, I mean, it, those are month-over-month month numbers. The annual is right around 2 2.5%, which is the best it's been in years. I mean, more than a decade. So we're finally getting to the point where we're seeing better wage growth. But, you know, what is it? it there's these stories that... Wages really haven't moved meaningfully in 15 or more years, since roughly 2000. Yeah. Well, and and my memory of that is skewed a little bit because I got out of college and got right into the mortgage business. And there were some clowns in the mortgage business that were making well into the six figures that certainly didn't deserve it. And they probably have never made that much money since. Right. Those guys are now kind of got shaken out into a bunch of like, you know, dare I say real jobs <laughs> from from where they fell. Sure. And so I think there was a lot of people that you were just making insane amounts of money back then. And it was in that era, too. You getting 30 pre-approved credit cards per month and, you know, just credit everywhere and income everywhere and people just doing insane things. The hairdresser owning four houses. It was all so unreal. No no wonder we crashed as hard as we did. Huh? Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so anyway... Um, the rent, rent is continuing to go up. I mean, that everywhere we look, everything we see, 
rents are just going up and up and up. And um, as the housing market is so heavily in demand and pushing prices up, rents are just going right along with it. Uh, I met with another couple this week that was um, being asked to move out of their rental and legitimately afraid that they were not going to be able to find another place in town, you know, in time. There's such a competition. If you're trying to buy or or rent something right now, uh, you're going to need a little bit of luck on your side too. Um, so anyway, um, what I saw too is that much of the demand on rentals is coming from people in their 20s. Um, this is the fastest, I mean, and it makes sense too, right? But this is the fastest growing segment of the population that's out putting pressure on the rental market. Um, and so these are those millennials that we're talking about, the the people in their 20s that are out looking. Um, they're also buying homes too. Um, from what I could see, home purchases made up the bulk of loans taken out by millennials in the second half of 2016. That makes um, sense, right? Yeah. And so, um, anyway, more than half of the millennial borrowers took out conventional loans in 16. Um, the, the lesser category was the millennials getting FHA loans. On VA loans, the millennials um, only got 1% of their loan volume was under the VA category. And I guess that's not surprising because they're young and also, um, you know, I just... Interesting, too. It seems like, you know, think back to this. Like, was your dad or your uncle or your grandpa or your great-grandpa in the services? Yes. Yeah. Me, too. And then, like, right now, how much of your peer group, like, people that you went to high school with? Cousins? Do you have any cousins that went into the services in I any do. way? Yeah, yeah, I do. It seems like it's just less popular today. I, I'm not sure I understand why. Um but so when you see these declining VA numbers, it kind of just, you know, there's not a whole lot to it. It just was an interesting thing for me. I kind of paused and thought about it as like, um, seemed like from yesteryear, almost every man had some run with the service, be it like the minimum four-year type of term or longer. Um, but today it seems more rare. Um, anyway, Interesting thing, too, they, they're tracking credit scores about millennials um, and the purchase loans that they took out in 2016. The The average credit score for the millennials was in the low 720s. And the average for refis um, was 721. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. 720 credits are always an interesting place in the market. You don't see a whole lot of people hanging right at 720. Um, and... You know, really, I think if you have good credit but short credit, that's where you could find yourself at that 720 range. You've never really been late, but you also don't have a whole lot of depth to your credit. Yeah. Usually when somebody has credit that gets into the 740, 60, 80, not only have they never had delinquency issues at all, but they've got just a depth of great credit. Yeah. All kinds of accounts. They've got – they've proven themselves with – with installment debt that's student loan or auto loan or timeshare. They've had real estate loans. They've had auto loans. They've had personal loans. They have credit cards. They have 30-day credit cards. They have all these different, just such a diversity of types of credit. They have great credit. So You remember when we started in the mortgage industry looking at people's credit reports back in the early 2000s? It was so rare to see 
credit scores in the 800s. Mm. I mean, I could... I remember... Maybe one or two. I remember keeping um, a little, like, kind of mental tally about the highest credit scores that I had ever seen. And um, I remember the first time I saw an 808, and that was... That would became the new record. But now it's all the time. You see, if someone has good credit, mean, meaning they've they've just always been a bill payer and they have that depth that you're talking about, they're likely in the 800s now. Yeah. And, and I see credit scores today. Sometimes I'll run credit and I'll see 18s or 820s, 830s sometimes. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the credit thing's always fun. Because it, it's sort of snowflake-ish. It's not, they're not always the same. And then the other fascinating thing, too, about credit that I always laugh at is that we'll have, like, a married couple. They've been married for 30-something years, and we run joint credit, and they've had the same everything for 30 years, and the wife is, like, three points higher. And she just <laughs> like, oh, I'm always better than you at credit. And I always <laughs> laugh, too. It makes me think of that car insurance thing, you know? When you were in high school, they said... Well, if you're a female, you just have lower rates just because you're going to do less stupid stuff. Same thing with credit, I guess. You get a couple points lower because you just have this tendency to maybe go do something stupid just because you're male. <laughs> maybe, huh? Gosh, we got a we got a commercial break coming up. It'd be great to have some phone calls next hour. Talk some scenario Wait, stuff. Give me something to do over here too. Yeah. Um, do you sit through that training this week about the return of the one-time close? I got the email for it, and I didn't have time to go and study it all up yet. Yeah, I did. Yeah, one-time close construction. Uh, we're getting a few of our loan officers specializing in that program through training, and it's so uh, we can, it's about to lift off. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely have some of that to talk about. <clears throat> So anyways, guys, we got a five-minute break here, so go do whatever you got to do. Get some more coffee. We have a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We're looking forward to it. Hope you are, too. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. He's had bad hair. <laughs> yeah, they kind of had like the, they kind of had like the Beatles kind of thing going on for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing they were told their hair and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure, but they became their own band, really. Did you see also that consumer confidence hit the uh, the highest its level it's been since 2001? Great. I did not see that. 
How confident are you feeling? Um, <laughs> How about you, Jim? You and your friends, are you guys all real confident about the the future economy here? Mm, I think, yeah. Yeah? I, I think so. Yeah. That sounds like uncertainty. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. I'm kind of cautiously yeah. optimistic. optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feeling mm. uncertain. Sometimes yeah. change is a good thing, though. Sure. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Well, and you guys are you're, you're at a new radio station now. How long has it been that you've been? We've been in this building since July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they started announcing that we're for sale this time last year. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't have been very confident then. Not at all. The fact that you were one of the ones that made it, that had to boost your confidence yeah, a bit. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they told me that we we want to keep the shows the way you do them, so the way to do that is to hire the person that's been doing them. So there we are. I think, <laughs> your, I think your unofficial comment is that you feel uncertain, cautiously optimistic or uncertain. But if you if I was nailing you down, like I called you on the phone, Said Dan, I'm here from the. I don't know what what are the ones. There's the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, and my questions are: Have you looked at the questions of the survey, by the way? Mm-mm. Yeah, the consumer confidence questions are like they they relate to you and your kind of personal employment situation. Do you feel like you have room for growth? Are you confident in your job? Do you feel like you're likely going to be getting pay raise or not, like all these kind of questions. Um, so if you were answering all of those though, you gotta feel, you gotta feel pretty confident. Don't you think? I don't know. You got some deregulation coming on, which I mean, maybe you're going to get back to being able to do interest only loans, dog. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) call me a cynic but when i see all the suits sitting at the table helping guide deregulation policy i kind of tend to think that deregulation is going to be more beneficial for uh the big banks than the little banks oh man the headlines (laughs) every single week i'm sure you're seeing it too but um the bank portion of the mortgage market used to make up the lion's share of it a few years back. The declines of the bank originated mortgage. So what I'm talking about is like Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank. Those, the majors, right? Mm -hmm. They used to control the lion's share of the mortgage market. I mean, Wells Fargo. It's like, how are you ever going to compete with Wells Fargo? Well, guess what? The non-bank mortgage sector of um, the business, which is, is, name them off, you got like what, Quicken? They're a big one. Caliber. Caliber. Encore. Cash Call. These guys, they've been growing market share like crazy. And this conversation is always so closely tied to this deregulation thing. Because the, you know, the, we talk, we were talking a bit about this, why the, the banks have had a marked decline in their FHA business. Is they're too concerned about um, making too much of those FHA loans because it'll haunt them going forward. And a lot of those big banks um, are still dealing with those legacy issues from before. 
I think this is one of the reasons why you see companies like, you know, you mentioned Caliber, for example. Caliber is a company that we actually are approved to do loans for as well. In fact, so is Quicken. As is always the rule, <laughs> if you want to do a Caliber loan or a Quicken loan, I can actually give you a lower rate on a Caliber loan than a Caliber loan officer can or a Quicken loan officer. And a real simple reason being is the they have tremendous overhead and being those huge companies that have you nationally, their name is known versus a company like ours. We can't afford their advertising budget and therefore our overhead is just lower. And so we're able to give, you know, that same deal at a lower margin essentially is what's going on. Yeah. And Caliber, you know, they'll happily pay the $5 a square foot to get right next to Albertsons in the shopping center oh, yeah. retail space, whereas we're looking for the $2 a square foot, um, you know. Something just, on the outskirts. Yeah, something a little more Liv modest. Just living on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, that, that's the how it goes. The model is different. Yeah. Here's just to back up your claim about the uh, the share of the mortgage market for banks versus non-banks. Um, in 2011, just a short Five, six years ago, 50% um, of all new mortgage money was loaned by the three biggest banks in the U.S., Chase, B of A, and Wells Fargo. 50%, just those three banks. When? Uh, in 2011. By, since, by, in September of last year, the share of loans by those three big banks was just 21%. Yeah. Well, and part of it is because they're dealing with legacy issues, right? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And they've had other things, other things to to chew on too. Like, I mean, Wells Fargo, they sure got off kind of easy about that whole fraudulent accounts thing that was going on. That didn't get talked about too terribly much. There was a lot of other good news at the time. Which, if you're Wells Fargo, you've probably got to be pretty thankful for that. But in any case, yeah, they've their share of the market has really declined. And so I wonder how much of this regulatory reform that's coming is aimed at getting them their market share back. That's what I suspect. Yeah, I hope not. But um, speaking of Quiggin, you, you know, um, I'm a real big fan of this rocket mortgage crap they're doing where like, <laughs> do you see the, the one on the TV the other day? Some people are like, they're like walking through a neighborhood and they see a house for sale and one of them like pulls out a phone. It's like a, you know, the, the commercial is saying something to the effect of like, while you're blundering around in a mortgage, that quaint craftsman, you know, whatever home is, you, you, it's too late. You're too late. And she just as they're like, you're, you're going to lose the house. She's like, Go. And the rocket mortgage launches, and now they're floating in the front yard. And they're like, you know, this the day one certainty idea. And um, this is being marketed by a bunch of companies right now. And we might be a little bit late to the show. We can do the same thing. Um, in fact, because we have Quicken and because we have Caliber and we have these different companies that are offering the rocket mortgage, they're kind of clever day one certainty type of program. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of interesting to describe what that is and what that <laughs> means. 
Um, sure. Yeah. So essentially what's going on now as we move more into this electronic digital world where you can get everything done. Yeah, this Jim's playing the one now where they start floating around. And how mad would you be in real life if you click go and now suddenly everything in your office is coming off the shelves falling around? You instantly entered zero gravity environment. I that feel like would that's, be kind of frustrating if you weren't prepared for it. I feel like it'd be... Um, <laughs> It, it's it's almost disconcerting it's, it's, actually. <laughs> it's almost uh, um, yeah. like an interesting um, metaphor to about like what's happening if you do this. Like you're, you, yeah, it turns out your world's getting turned upside yeah, down. Yeah, and, your loan's floating in space somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's because we're too big. Um, anyway, with the new digital age where everything's just a keystroke away. Um, Basically, what you got now is one of the things, the reason they can say day one certainty is that you can log in now basically into the IRS system with your, if, if I have your permission to do so, I can pull down your earnings records by transcript form. So um, you're used to seeing, guys, if you think about your tax return, think about page, let's start at page one of the 1040 you know, like you're used to seeing the numbers and hearing things like adjusted gross income and stuff like that. But there's guys like me where um, we talk about them by line, you know, line one, line two, line three, line seven, line, line 13. Yeah, those are huge ones, right? Um, and point is, on the transcript form, that's all it does is it just gives you the line and the amount. It just, So it'll say line seven, $92,000. And so... Really clear, line seven, that's where your W-2 wages belong, right? So when we when we get that, if we run that on day one, we can forego the need now of doing paycheck stubs. We don't have to get your W-2s and your tax returns and do all these things. That's one example of, of what you could do with the day one certainty thing. Um, and you, you were referencing day one certainty, which is actually what this is, is a Fannie Mae initiative to move more towards electronic loan approval. And, and so this isn't something that's unique to Quicken. They've just cleverly marketed it. Yeah. They have the a huge loan. marketing budget, but every lender that works with Fannie Mae loans, which is every lender, <laughs> cause every lender works with Fannie Mae loans. It's offered through Fannie Mae. It's called right. Day One Certainty. Yeah. And it's just it's it's implementing this these interfaces that we currently use in the underwriting process. Yeah. Today on every loan, we ask for tax returns. But there's a little bit of a chance that maybe you fudge some numbers on the tax returns. It wasn't unheard of in the early two thousands for there to be fraudulent tax returns. Oh, people so, marched around with two sets of taxes. These are the ones I give the IRS, and then right. these are the ones I use to get loans. So after the housing meltdown, the way that we found to resolve that was, hey, let's get tax transcripts from the IRS. On every file. And we'll validate the tax return that was provided by the borrower to make sure that all the numbers match. Well, now we're starting to realize, why yeah. are we even worrying about validating something from the borrower when we're just getting it direct from the IRS in the first place? Well, and what I was going to say is one of the reasons I don't necessarily like just using transcripts alone I mean, I met with two clients yesterday, both of which were listeners to the radio show. Um, we sat down and started analyzing, in one case, a Schedule C, 
where I need to add back the the use of the home for the business. I need to add back some depreciation. How about um, a little mileage? And add back some mileage. If you're if you're not getting the full tax returns, you don't get to see what those things are. So potentially then you're not getting the full qualifying benefit of what you need. And in both of the cases of the people I met with yesterday, we absolutely needed every last penny of income we could get at. Um, and so those are some reasons why the computer is not going to replace a qualified loan officer. You know, if, if you're an expert loan officer, you're able to do some things and, and provide some real benefit that you just can't get from a couple keystrokes on the computer. So the income component of it, like you said, we started doing this in the early 2000s um, because the IRS had a process for it. And in the beginning, we had you sign the authorization. Just sign the authorization for me, Dan, so that if there was ever a problem, if I ever needed to go to the IRS, then I could request the transcripts with this form. So you signed a 4506 for me. Well, we didn't process them on all loans. And what we found is we processed them on files where there was fraud. And so when we processed them trying to un undercover all of the fraud that was in a loan file, it turns out that a lot of the time there was also fraud in the tax returns that have been provided to us. So that being said, it became a matter of quality control where we started ordering them on all files. That gave the IRS the opportunity to beef up their system and their ability to provide them for us to where today... Most of the time, um, it's a very short turnaround of, of 48 to 72 hours to get back some tax transcripts. So because they've created a very robust process and it's being utilized now on about 90% of home loans, we're it, it's so easy to just get that. And, and, and if you don't need to get all the other paperwork, then awesome. And, and, I mean, and let's be honest about it. That's quite refreshing. The amount of paperwork that people are expected to bring in for a loan transaction is crazy and redundant. There's so much crap in there that could just make life easier if you didn't have to have it all. That being said, the next little layer to this guy is the asset portion. And so the other part of day one certainty is you'll go into the interface and you will say, I bank at, in my drop down, I find Citibank. And then I go, my account number at Citibank is 11442289963. My username is dpodesto, and my password is password1. And you're putting this into some lender's interface that is then going to take your credentials directly to the bank and have complete access to your asset information at the bank. Does that freak you out at all? It does. You're not unlike most consumers then. <laughs> most consumers, and maybe the millennials are different because, right? I mean, think about this. When we all first started getting into this digital thing, there's people seven years ago that were like, I'm not doing bill pay. Oh, I don't buy stuff online. It's I, not, don't, I don't want to put I'm credit, not putting card my credit card over online. online. And then what happened? Well, there's been some third-party services. You can use PayPal. You can use Venmo. These different, they're insured. It's more encrypted and secure. They're really good at, at handling that transaction in a way that now you feel comfortable. Um, so most of us buy stuff online now, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect that similar type of thing will happen 
in a year or two or three going forward where it'll be so commonplace. Um, same thing, by the way, with um, like we, we've been experiencing this with using electronic signatures. We use DocuSign, just like most real estate agents do, to have you sign what we can of the disclosure package. It's really an attempt to make it more streamlined, but it also protects all of us where the the software now knows it's identified you on your unique IPN. It's identified you've agreed, you've consented to electronic disclosure. It timestamps and basically provides a birth certificate for these disclosures when they happen and when you got them so that there can never be any confusion about the order they came. You know, if there was changes on version three that then reverted on version four and then we're back on version five. It's so traceable now because we have these base, these digital birth certificates of all these things. Um, it makes it safer for all of us. But, hey, when those were first coming out, how many people were like, oh, I'm, I'm just not really comfortable with that. I'm more of like a pen and paper guy. Can I sit down with you and, you know, I, I want to touch the paper. Okay, yeah, and really you can. But you know what? It's been a few years now, and it's pretty rare now that people – are unable to do the DocuSign. They've embraced it. They're comfortable with it. So anyway, today, that rocket loan thing is actually really just perfect, clever marketing. Everybody that is doing home loans has the ability to do the same thing. And most people today that are going to go borrow for a mortgage are uncomfortable handing over the full keys to the castle. You know, I'm just freaked out about you. Because how many times have you heard this story there's a data breach this weekend at Target, and they got 27 million customers' information. And if it was you, good news, now you can get your credit profile locked for free, and they're going to provide you a credit monitoring service for 24 months and, you know, these various things. What would you—I would rather not have my identity in jeopardy, <laughs> you know? So— a lot of people are just gun shy to, well, once I hand over these credentials, sure, I can trust you, Mr. Linder. I, I actually would suggest that you're going to do right by it. But, I mean, the Russians hacked our election. What, what could they possibly do with all of my financial information? I mean, the only thing we don't get from you on your loan application is your mother's maiden name. And that's really not that hard to find. So it's one of these things where right now I think people are resistant to do it. So how many people are getting the rocket loan? Not many. Not many. I suspect the people that are are the people that are like the millennials, and they've got a lot more faith and trust in this digital thing because they've kind of been born with it. You know, there's kids today that, like, they were when they were born, I'm saying kids today that are, like, in their 20s, they were born and like their dad took the the like video with a cell phone, you know. Like last night, uh, my mother in law is up visiting for um, family birthday and hanging out with the kids and everything. She bought some photo albums with her. Oh, look at this! Was me when I was a baby, and everyone's just laughing. And and one of my little niece said to her, um, you know, basically, hey. Um, it, looking at the cell phone, show me the pictures of when you were a baby. It's like, well, those aren't in cell phones. We didn't even have that when I was little, you know. So these kids today, there, there's a whole new thing to them. They're they're not going to have all these fears and concerns. And before too long, it won't even be an option for you. Hey, you want to get a home loan? Sign over your bank account to us. Today, it's optional.
And today you can kick and scream and resist that. At some point it's probably going away. So today, probably not a whole lot of rocket loan going on, but it's good marketing. So what happens? People are calling Quicken. The thing about their message that I really love is that thing, that idea that um, that you just you can do it right away and it's easy. Um, I don't know that home loans are ever necessarily easy if we're being perfectly honest, um, but it's a nice message to be spreading that you're really attempting to simplify the process and to to make it less invasive, less repetitive. So many people have a story today about how, well, the last time I got a home loan, oh my God, they asked for everything four times, things that I had already provided and this, that, and the other. And, you know, if you do subscribe to the new process of day one certainty where you're willing to hand over access to your financial accounts and, you know, go down that path and all that, it's certainly going to eliminate some of that frustration from you. You just have to be comfortable with it. The the number one thing, the the number one bit of feedback we get on this day one certainty program is that bank account piece. It's the providing the username and password for your bank account. That's where most borrowers decide that they're not willing to proceed forward with that. Yeah, you need to get in there and check my income. Fine. I'm telling you the truth. Satisfy yourself with it. It does all that. Whatever. What are you going to find? What are you going to do? Next stroke is you want right into my, you're going to log into my bank account. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is the fear that, yes, it's going to get hacked and someone's going to take all your money. That's where all your money is. Or just do the thing like office space. They'll just start transferring off pennies at a time that you you may not even know about. I'm not so worried about someone seeing my tax return. Yeah, cool. That's a, that's a summary of what I made, but my bank account is where I keep it all. (laughs) <laughs> sure. And so I'll let you see what I made, but I don't want you to, I don't want to give you the key to the door where I keep it all. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, oftentimes too, people don't like you just getting in there. You know, you get, you get a certain level of detail with people's bank statements. Oh, look at there. You got a red box on Monday, red box on Tuesday, Taco Bell on Thursday. This dude likes to watch movies and eats bad food. <laughs> you know, like, ooh, parking ticket. <laughs> That's not good. You know, not that Taco Bell's bad or anything. No, no. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like, you see all this stuff. Some people don't even want that. Like, you, you don't need to go see my transactional details about the whole thing. All the, all the dirty, dark secrets of your financial life. Bank statements are a pretty private thing. Well, here's another thing about the rocket mortgage or the day one certainty is that, you know, it's great, I think, in a refinance. It's great. You know, it's just... Well, especially today, if you we've get... We've been through this before. All I want is a lower rate. You know, come on, let's just get through this process. I want my lower rate. I want to pay less. But when you're the buyer, first-time buyer trying to do a rocket loan, you're missing the consultation. You're oh, yeah. missing the explanation of what's the difference between USDA and FHA and conventional and and why you should lend near to each of them and all that kind of thing. I mean, I when I'm counseling those people, and by the way, it's not just first time home buyers because people come to me that have bought eight homes, and by the end of the consultation we have here, they're like, "Wow, I I can't. I probably lost so much money, and I never understood that." And I can think now about decisions I would have made differently if I did. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I'd, 
I really do, as altruistic as it sounds, I really do just love sitting with that buyer and just whether or not we ever get to the finish line of you buying a home with me, um, you've just received an under the hood look and education at this process from somebody that's just interested in being really transparent with you. And you can walk out of there with some certain confidence now that you really understand more than you ever did before. And guys, different banks, different loan officers, um, they may not be sharing with you to the same extent for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I, I believe in the good nature of people. I don't think that it's largely based in deception. I think one of the biggest things is that the person just doesn't explain it. Um, they, they don't feel comfortable explaining it because they're not confident in it. So if they can sort of just be the driver of, hey, here's your offer. This is what you need to do. This is what it's going to be. These are what your terms are going to be. This is the timeline. Get it in and get it done. Um, you, you could read that script to somebody. But if you really want to sit down and go through it and say, okay, when we when we pull this lever, it changes this figure. And the reason that you need to know about that is that it creates these opportunities or these expenses. And to really be able to share that with somebody, well, now you're going to get down into the weeds with them. So if they start having real technical questions, you got to know what you're doing. It it's it's can be an awful lot more detailed and messier than just telling somebody what they're getting. Um, and you know that to me that that's a service that's just invaluable. Um, and I like it too. Uh, I it's been a long time since I bought a car. Uh, a new car, but I, I have bought a new car before. And um, the things I know about the home loan process, I utilized in the finance room of that car dealership. And so these things too, when you, when you can sit down with somebody that knows finance really well and is willing to spend the time to school you up on it, those transcend just the mortgage transaction. Now you're getting a look at you know, what these things are, where the premiums are, where the opportunities to negotiate and save might be, all these different kinds of things, the, that's invaluable. And those are things, like, especially when I meet with, like, you know, a home buyer of any age that's just eager to learn, that's really fun. Uh, we get a lot of people that try to learn from the Internet. There's not a lot of up-to-date, accurate information on the internet. You get all these sales spins, or you might find, you know, people find stuff from yesteryear. Because some of the stuff on the internet's not even dated. So they start trying to tell you about, well, I saw this on the internet. I remember that. That was um, what I got one the other day. I got a, I'm working with a first-time home buyer from out of state that's relocating to Santa Maria. And so we're working on one of the grant programs to do a down payment assistance type of deal. And it's going well. And this dude's an engineer, right? So um, he's really just spends so much time trying to understand everything and research. He really wants to be at the cutting edge. So last week he sent me an email. He said, I'm a little bit disappointed in you. You didn't. You never talked to me about the Hawk program. And I just learned about the Hawk program. And I really, you know, I, I think it'd be a good fit for me. Whew, wow, what a blast. Hawk program was something a few years ago that FHA came out with. You remember it? No. It never rolled out. It was an idea. Um, so it made it all over the internet because FHA came out and said, if you'll go do the homebuyer counseling. So this was in the area where we were trying to figure out how to create a savvier borrower. 
So if you'll go do this counseling ahead of time, then you could get these reductions to your mortgage insurance premium on the FHA loan. And so it was like, hey, HUD is basically, you know, creating an avenue for you to save some money if you're willing to put some time in to learn how to be a better consumer. Sweet idea. It never hit. It never worked. They never actually rolled it out. So it's funny, and going back to the reason I even brought that up, is that there's stuff on the internet that looks really official. You can find announcements of the Hawk program on HUD's website. They never went back and said, oh, just kidding, we never did this. So it's really hard as a consumer to educate yourself. And like you said, if you just go for a rocket loan, what are you missing? You're missing that consultation with that expert. That that one-on-one level detail that, you know, maybe, like I said earlier, if I can go through your tax returns and pull out those little nuggets of things we could add back that would increase your buying power or whatever, there, there's there's some real benefit to to not wanting to, to hit a rocket button. I, I think of the most common thing that happens is when we, we get a buyer in front of us, we're talking to them about budget, talking to them about what they could qualify for, maximum purchase price, and it's way more than what they're comfortable paying each month. But you just go right to Rocket Loan. Hey, it says I can buy a $900,000 house. Great, let's do it. Let's buy it. I love $900,000 houses. They've got everything I like in them. The best appliances, the pool. Let's buy it. So they buy it, and then they get their first mortgage payment for $4,500. They're like, whoa, (laughs) we're not comfortable with that. Not to mention, (laughs) once you go buy that bigger, better, nicer house, guess what? The pool pumps might cost you 500 bucks a month to run. Right. And then you, you have all these additional maintenance costs that I hope you thought well through. Uh, yeah. I In fact, whenever I get down to the uh, – this question always comes up. We're trying to figure out what we can qualify for. Okay. Do all my work. This is how that – this statement, I always have to start it this way, um, is just to say, okay, as is usually the case – you qualify for way more than you feel comfortable buying. Um, and so let's talk about that. Your maximum qualification is actually 950000 bucks, But you've been paying $2,400 a month in rent. And, you know, once you sort of figure it out, their comfort level, like the most I want to pay is, you know, 3400 bucks a month. Tops. I'm all in right there. Okay, well, that's a $700,000 house. So we're not actually interested at all in talking about your maximum qualification. We're interested in, in figuring out what your self-governance is to your the budget that you're comfortable with. Those are two very different conversations. And, um, it, and I think it's easy to get swept up, too. Like, I see that when I look at houses on, like, Realtor.com and stuff. <laughs> killer house estimated mortgage payment 2150 like you sucker you left off the mortgage insurance you left off the taxes you left off the insurance you left off the HOA dues that real debt on that house is 3100 bucks a month and you know it but you're just marketing this chump number to get the phone to ring and this is the thing like this is what Quicken's doing you see the rocket mortgage thing and you go wow that's pretty cool uh, I'm gonna call so then you call, and then they're like, all right, now is the part where you can give me your account number, your login to your bank account, um, and you're like, uh, 
I think maybe I'm not a good candidate for the rocket mortgage. Well, that's no problem. We can go the other way, too. It turns out that 95% of people do. But you are there. You're hooked. You're on the phone with them now. And that's that's what they're marketing. Just the thing that makes you call them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm always trying to tell people on our show here. That's that's why I want you to call me. We're gonna be real transparent with you about. Yeah, I think we can do the rocket loan too. You want that? Um, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Uh, we can be real honest about what that entails and why we're reluctant to do that today. And you know, then go through having a face-to-face conversation with somebody right here in town. That's pretty cool. Sit down, hold somebody, you know, hold their hand through a transaction, be there when things get tough or, you know, whatever. It's a, I think a better way. Breaky time. Yeah. We need to get a break in. Are you going to bring us back with rocket man since we've been talking? Uh, maybe we'll, you know what? Uh, uh, yeah. I'll get rocket man. Remember, remember that? Um, I know rocket man. The the Bill Shatner. Okay. Do you remember that video? William Shatner doing Rocket Man. Are you kidding me? You haven't seen this? No, I haven't seen it. Dan? I have not. Oh my goodness. You guys are in for a real treat. I have to find William Shatner. We'll take a break so you can pull it up. Uh yeah, no, it's a video. I know you'll find it on YouTube. It's probably the best Bill Shatner thing you're ever gonna see in your whole life. <laughs> okay. I'll be back in a couple minutes for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Loans. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-3960-8. DBO number 6054783. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. I packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high. As a kite by then. 
quality my recording. Wall. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 1978. <laughs> it's 1978. It's like it's the. That was HD back then. Mm-hmm. High fidelity. Does he get to the hook pretty soon? Oh, such a. Takes a while. Dies. Now you can hear the music building. And I think it's going to be a long, long time. <laughs> the touchdown. <laughs> Brings me back again to find it's I'm so painful, it's funny. Man, they yeah. think I am back home. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a rocket man. <laughs> rocket oh, man. Okay. All right. It's be a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long, long time before oh. he's done. Right. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be a long, long time. He's not much of a singer. No. I think he can actually poke fun at himself. I think. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think he, he hasn't been that. around too much lately, has he? I mean, he was doing the, like... The Priceline. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like I haven't seen a commercial with him in a couple of years. Well, you know, he's getting up there in age. And it's not really like he needs the money, probably. You would hope. Sometimes he's on... Um, you never know. You know, last week... Big Bang Theory. Sometimes he's on Big Bang Theory. I was telling, telling Dan... He, do these? Do you hear about these kind of guys where they they buy a twenty million dollar house and then things slow down a little bit and then those annual property taxes of two hundred thousand dollars a year catch right up with you? That's a happens all too often. <laughs> yeah, all too often. Well, I think this is what happens like with football players. They have a pretty short career. Yeah. And or yeah, their career is cut short because of a knee injury or yeah. something devastating, and they weren't planning on that. Well, and, and football is <laughs> one of the sports, right? Where if you are unable to fill the contract due to injury, they, the team can like cut you out of it, right? Well, William it depends. Shatner. William Shatner is eighty-five years old. Wow, this month. Wow. Yes, I would not have guessed that. That's young. March twenty-second, nineteen. You know, eighty-five is the new forty. <laughs> Which makes 40 the new zero, basically. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that either. Mm-mm. You know. But see, then there's me. I still think the 90s was 10 years ago. Feels like it. <laughs> except for except for when you see, like, what was, when you were in high school, was there any car that you were like, I would love to have that car? There were lots of cars I liked when I was in high school. I liked classic cars. I liked new sports cars. There's always some kind of sporty. I remember. Car. I remember one of the cars that had my eye was a Lincoln LS. It was kind of a new to the scene kind of sedan. Looked pretty sweet, especially if you put some wheels on it and stuff. In high school, you wanted a mom car. It's not a mom car. You know what the Lincoln LS is? It's not a mom car. No. I anyway, mean, oh, you you lost me at Lincoln. Point now. When, when I, high school, s- when I, I see that like 1995 <laughs> Lincoln LS, it's like such a hoopty. It's so old and <laughs> the lines aren't even. It had nice lines. It felt stylish. But no. It's just funny. Today's kids are looking at like these model 2017 cars. Let's see it. Dude, it's a Ford Thunderbird. That, you're it's looking, a Thunderbird. That's, what it is. You're, it's a Ford that's Thunderbird. like a Mark Seven or something. It's I'm talking a, about the no. LS. It's that. I, that's what I typed in. Yeah, well, you're just doing it wrong. I'll show you a picture of that. All right, okay, here we go. LS. Here we go. 
Well, okay. <laughs> not, not a lot different. of different, but there, there we go. Yeah. Disappointed in your choice of cars when you that's were in high school. Still not it. Well, that's, that's what they're showing. I mean, yeah, that's a 1995 Lincoln LS, right? Of course, there. we know the internet's always correct. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's basically a Ford Thunderbird, oh, which I had a Ford Thunderbird, so I can't say that I disagree with your choice of the look of a car. I ended up having a Volkswagen. Is what I had. 69 Beetle, and then I got a 68 Beetle, mm-hmm. and then I hit the mother load with an 88 Civic. Oh my gosh, Ooh, you were styling, Jason. Four door, wow, put a base tube in the back, mm. <clears throat> big time. Oh man, all right, we were talking about the rocket loan for a long time, weren't we? Mm-hmm. What else you got? Fresh out? Kind of. January pending home sales came out this month. Had an unexpected drop. Down 2.8%. So only alarming because it's a you know, it's a slow start to the year. Pending home sales are are homes that have gone into contract in the month of January. So these represent the closings for February and March. So when you see that the pending numbers are down, you know, just more evidence of that tight inventory problem that we've been talking about. And then right on the heels of that, so that number came out on Tuesday, right on the heels of that, we got a reading from the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. So the 20 city index are taking a, a national look at real estate values, um, a month-over-month gain showing um, the highest month-over-month gain in two and a half years and putting the year-over-year rate of appreciation at 5.8% for the month of December. The, um, the, the home price index goes on to blame low inventory and the fact that um, there's just so much pressure right now with so many buyers that it's um, causing more and more um, competition for fewer and fewer homes, which is driving prices up. So that's a fun little duo of stats right there. You look at pending home sales, the numbers are down. This isn't referencing price pending home sales. It's referencing volume. Then we go on and we look at the actual metrics of home values and see that those are experiencing, for the month of December, the largest month-over-month gains in two and a half years. That's ahead of the curve on even home buying season that we just went through with those ridiculously lower rates. Rates over June, July, August last year were smoking. We were still giving out three and a half, 30 year fix. Today's buyers getting, you know, closer to 4% and we're still seeing some of the biggest gains that we've seen in the recent um, years uh, kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking for this year. Let's hop over to the phone lines. We've got Craig calling in from San Luis Obispo. Hey, uh, I was hearing your little conversation about the Lincoln LS. I thought I'd uh, throw some knowledge your way. There we go. Help us out. Uh, Well, the Lincoln LS was built on the same – actually, the 2002 Ford Thunderbird, that uh, convertible that came out as the retro Thunderbird, it's the same chassis and platform that uh, they they share between the two. And the Lincoln LS 
design was actually a guy that they stole from BMW, and they brought him over to design the Lincoln LS using the Thunderbird Thunderbird platform from 2002. So you got some taste in cars, Jason. I'm just huh. telling you, it was a sweet car. So, Craig, I, it, it I is, mean, it's a great car. Right, were you uh, were you an owner of a Lincoln LS? No, uh, those were slightly just beyond just reach fan? to the common folk, man. <laughs> no, no, I'm just I'm just a, a bit of a car guy, and I'm a Thunderbird guy, and it was just the knowledge that was going around at the time. Everyone knew that uh, the BMWs were really coming on strong, and Ford wanted to get into that market. You know, that Mercedes C class, that you know, that kind of market and bmw i can't remember what they're like the three something i uh so they wanted in that market so they hired they stole away the designer from bmw for that and they had to use an existing uh, platform when they did the uh, t-bird and so they kind of crossed over and it's a big american v8 tons of power you could just go crazy with that car if you wanted yeah low profile so it was the uh the body was kept low so that way you could do like a pro touring kind of thing if you wanted to but it's a, it's a great, luxurious muscle car. You know what I got? Craig, you'll appreciate this. And I, I never got that Lincoln LS, but when I was going to Cal Poly, I did pick up a sweet um, Chevy Caprice that had the LTZ. Um, it was like the basically the cop power yeah, the, the motor with suspension, braking, transmission, just ripped. It was such an amazing car. Uh, super fast, but also huge and heavy. Yeah, it was like driving car. around a Denny's booth. Yeah, <laughs> so comfortable. But it had, but it was fast and cornered well. Anyway, yeah, the, yeah, the, the police car. But I just, booth. I heard you guys talk about it. I had to, had to chime in. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thank we you, appreciate Craig. the call. All right. <laughs> driving around a Denny's booth. I, uh, there's another. It's not a Jasonism on a. On the Mortgage Matters show. Yeah. Somebody else can come up with When one. I was younger, we just called him the land yacht. <laughs> I remember my mom had this Cadillac. It was like a Brigham edition Cadillac, just huge. In fact, it was the first car that I ever hit something with, and I hit my own car with it. My mom was having me back her car out of the um, garage. I wasn't even 16 yet, and I my car, I was rebuilding my 69 Bugs, sat right beside the driveway on blocks. And as I was backing her car out, doing the thing you're supposed to do, left hand on the wheel, right hand over the passenger seat, looking over my shoulder, and I just backed out, but the it was so long that the front end swung so far that it oh, like boy. went off the, even though the wheels were on the driveway and everything, the long bow of this huge Cadillac mm-hmm. swung around and hit the fender on my, on my bug. Yeah. And then I was like mortified because my yeah. dad would have flipped out, mm-hmm. you know. My grandmother had a Cadillac uh, Coupe de Ville. It's big a car. Good big car. car to learn to drive, though, yeah. because you have to be yeah. present of um, preparing to stop, <laughs> accelerating yeah. slowly so yeah. that you're not just smoking your whole tank of gas in the first mile. Yeah. And then you have to really know where the boundaries of the car are because you could easily hit things in that land yacht of a car. Yeah. We used to joke about you know, just how massive it was. That Talk it, about a smooth ride, though. Oh, gosh, you <laughs> yeah. bet. It's like riding on a cloud. Yeah. If you close your eyes and think about it, you can still <laughs> smell that leather interior, too. They just don't make them like they used to. No. <sighs> 
we got off topic right there. What yeah, were we talking? Well, oh, we were talking Greg. about <laughs> inventory and prices. Low yeah. inventory puts pressure on prices. Oh, to go and up. so I wrote it out here. Um, just want to get on record right now. You heard it here first. I wrote in my notes. I actually wrote news flash. There are more buyers than sellers. If you don't remember anything else about today's show, that's what you want to know. Actually makes it a pretty good market to sell in. If you're up for selling, you're going to get a premium on selling your house. Um, I counted up yesterday. I was on the phone with one of my clients who she's struggling to find a house and was complaining about inventory. Um, just that there's not enough going on the market and, um, just keeping an eye out for that one that does in the four to 500,000 price range. And so I was sharing with her that, um, I currently have 27 people pre-qualified that are looking for homes basically in that price range in North County. Yeah. It's so when a new market. one comes on the market. Hey, we've got this great condition, nice house on the, you know, west side of Atascadero for four hundred ninety thousand bucks. Guess what? <laughs> so many people are seeing that too, that it just, you know, you're you're getting a in a deal where the seller is going to be reviewing multiple offers. Um, and to that same vein, for the first time in a long time, I had an appraisal come in short this week. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, uh, place in escrow, multiple offers type of thing. Um, a bunch of people wanted to buy this house, nice house in Paso Robles for, um, got into contract. I guess I could say so for 400 grand. So I'm not giving the address. I could say so for 400 grand. The appraisal came in for 380. How's that even possible? The comps just told such a story. Yeah, the but homes, the market activity tells a different story. But the homes that were available in that market that had recently sold at the 400 mark in that neighborhood were just clearly superior. They had just unbelievable condition um, superiority. Appliances, countertops, landscape, everything about them was just clearly better and then the um, so anyway, it got it gets down to that fascinating thing though is <laughs> I wish Wes were on the show right now. He would define market value to us right now. It's a willing seller and a willing buyer, willing and able buyer agreeing on a price to right. sell, and that's what makes home. it challenging. <laughs> and in this case, actually, the deal didn't fall apart. It was negotiated, but they negotiated. Um, Less than halfway between the sales price and the appraisal. So the buyer's actually paying more than it appraised for, less than they originally agreed to pay for. Um, but, yeah, I it's one of those things where if the comps, if the appraiser's just having trouble scratching it out, then in this case, the, the buyers are faced with that. Are you going to pony up additional down payment to buy something for slightly more than its appraised value? And it was a good appraisal, by the way. I could show it to you. You have that skeptical look on your face. Well, there should be another box on the appraisal because it's either you use the cost approach, you use the income approach, you use the sales comparison approach, which that's the one that we generally use. Uh, it should be the, you know, how many of, offers were reviewed. None of those worked. We're using market conditions approach. Well, and the other fascinating thing is that there was multiple offers and they accepted a backup offer and then a third position backup offer. And all of them were for more than what that appraisal yeah, came in for. That's crazy. So anyway, um, 
hey, if you guys are interested in talking at all about, um, you know, getting pre-approved, working on your tax returns, refinancing a house maybe, um, looking at a plans to construct a home, basically anything that you think we might be able to help you with, we'd love to get a call from you. 543-5626 rings all of our offices. That's 543-LOAN. And then additionally, you can drop into the web, centralcoastlending.com. we got a place for you to fill out a loan application. You can do a little bit of research on the market, um, and you'll find all of our contact information to get a hold of us. Thanks very much for being with us today. We'll be back next week for a whole other hour, guys. Be well.